Good morning. It's Wednesday, the 29th of November, and this is Govind Rajathi Raj coming to you from Mumbai, India's financial capital, still enjoying some clean air. Our top stories and themes for the day: Adani Group stocks zoom on a likely clean sheet from the courts in the Hindenburg case. The Indian rupee is amongst the best performing currencies in the world this year. Indian auto sales hit record festival highs. Pole bound states do even better. Independent directors come under fire as the Raymond family members enter into dispute. This is a core report with Govindraj Athiraj. The markets and oil. India's blue chip index, the Nifty 50, closed at a fresh two-month high. thanks to a rise in adani group stocks while energy companies rose on stable crude prices the nifty 50 settled at about 19889 the highest since september 20th and the bse sensex closed at 66174 adani group stocks jumped between 2.6 and 20% with adani enterprises and adani ports and special economic zone climbing around 9% and 5.3% to the top nifty 50 gainers reuters reported Adani Total Gas which was amongst the worst hit after the Indenburg report jumped about 20% on the day. The Supreme Court has reserved its verdict on petitions against the conglomerate on Friday on allegations raised by US short seller Hindenburg Research in Jan 2023 after the country's markets regulator that's the Securities and Exchange Board of India said that it would not seek more time to complete its probe a move that was seen as positive for the Adani stocks. So the stocks have rallied with the flagship Adani Enterprises surging 13%. All of this added about 15 billion dollars to the ports to power conglomerate's market value, the most since Hindenburg Research in its Jan 24 report alleged wide-ranging corporate malfeasance against the billionaire Gautam Adani's group, said Bloomberg. So Adani's group market value right now is at about 138 billion which is still about 97 billion dollars below the level before the short seller that Sindenberg released a report accusing them of stock manipulation and accounting fraud the adani group has consistently denied all wrongdoing in energy crude prices remained stable around 81 dollars a barrel after falling below 80 dollars a barrel in previous sessions ahead of a crucial meeting of the organization of the petroleum exporting countries and its allies on the 30th of november that's tomorrow a key discussion point in the meeting will broadly discuss production cuts or some ways of curtailing supply so as to keep prices stronger for the sellers of crude that is the next indicator that the indian markets are looking out for at this point are the results of multiple state elections on december 3rd The Indian rupee looks weak at home but strong globally. The rupee has bounced back from record low levels hit last week closing at about 83 rupees 34 paise against the US dollar which is weak relative to how it's been performing in recent months. But expand the field or arena a little bit and the rupee is looking quite strong. After losing more than 10% against the dollar last year making it one of the worst performing large currencies in the world The rupee has been remarkably resilient in 2023 a report in the Wall Street Journal points out. So while we here usually mourn the rupee's fall mostly because of how expensive it becomes to travel or pay for overseas education, it's worth noting that it's lost less than 1% of its value against the dollar this year. So now compare that to a fall of 3% for the Chinese yuan 
roughly 9% fall in the South African rand and a 11% slide in the Japanese yen. The Wall Street Journal says solid management by the Reserve Bank of India, the central bank, deserves much of the credit and India's forex reserves stand around $600 billion, one of the larger pools of reserves in the world. While the Reserve Bank has intervened to defend the currency and causing reserves to deplete a little bit, it's been mostly careful or largely careful and not fallen prey to the rhetoric of a strong dollar. The Wall Street Journal also points out that Japan had intervened in the currency market in September last year to prop up the yen as it approached 146 to the dollar, but that did not hold even for a month and is currently around 150 a dollar, the lowest level in 33 years. So the bottom line being that intervening in currency as people usually clamor for, including in India, does not necessarily work out if other, particularly more fundamental factors are not in your favor. So the Reserve Bank broadly has been doing the right thing in not going berserk in trying to manage the dollar or prop it up. There are of course many reasons why all of this is happening, but the rapid rise in US interest rates is the key one for many currencies losing value. On the flip side, the rupee has not benefited much from the recent weakening of the dollar as we've been mentioning in recent days, though 10-year treasury yields have fallen sharply over the last month and that should have triggered the rupee or currencies in the region to move the other way around. The currencies that have moved up, of course, are the Japanese yen, the Chinese yuan and the South African rand, who've gained ground against the dollar while the rupee has not moved much. But this could change because in coming months, we should see more forex inflows, including because of an expansion of JP Morgan's bond indices to include Indian government bonds. Some $30 billion could come just because of that. And the trickle has begun, it appears, though the formal inclusion only happens next year. So while Indian markets are broadly moving in a range, what could be the broader, more macro issues determining flows to and in between assets ranging from oil to gold and, of course, currency and equity markets? While prices of commodities like gold and oil are set by global forces of demand and supply, currency obviously works a little differently, except that in recent months, many Asian currencies, like we've just talked about, have moved almost in tandem and mostly downward as the dollar got stronger and stronger, unlike, of course, the rupee, which seems to have resisted that force. Now, I reached out to Sydney-based Peter Maguire, CEO of XM.com, an Australian markets research and forex trading firm, and I began by asking him how he was seeing the broader markets across commodities, equities and currencies, but from a more top-down, region-wide view. I think that it's been certainly a very interesting month. November hasn't disappointed. There's plenty of surprises. If we're looking at what's happening as far as crude, it's had a very solid push down. It's been quite dramatic, actually, from those highs that we experienced after that issue, as far as, or more than an issue, the war in Palestine versus Israel. So we're conscious of that. That war premium has certainly been stripped out. If we're looking at gold, gold's had an enormous rally to the upside. It's nearly at 2,040. I think it's about 2,036 as we speak. And if we're looking at currencies, there's been dramatic moves there as well, as far as where the US dollar has come under some quite extensive pressure to the downside. And all those other currencies have bounced. And in, and if you're looking at equities, well, that rally, I mean, we've had three weeks of nice moves to the upside for US equities, and uh, that hasn't disappointed. It's been a nice push after earnings season, and maybe the Santa Claus rally was alive and well. So it's, it's certainly, with a month to go to Christmas or month to go to New Year's Eve, I don't think it's going to disappoint traders with volatility. Right. And what, in your understanding, are the dominating trends that's driving all of this, apart from the Middle East tensions that you've touched upon? That premium has certainly been stripped out. If you're looking at, I just think, the overall, are we going to see some form of rate pullback by central banks starting in 24? That's the jury's out on that one. The inflation numbers, are they going to hit their 
desired where they're looking for, you know, the three percent sort of range. What's going to happen as far as OPEC plus this week? Where are we looking with that US dollar? No further rate rises and possibility of additional rate rises still coming from the Eurozone or the Bank of England, then there's every chance that that divergence will narrow and you could see even further pressure on the US dollar to the downside. So there's just there's an array of, I suppose, very interesting components that make up this economic cycle. And then you're looking at, you know, country specific, have a look at, you know, weak demand from globally finished products coming from, you know, the China export market try to export their way out. That's certainly hemorrhage. And then, you know, where are we going to see growth? Where are those green shoots? Because no one's really seeing many at the moment. And I think that's why 24 could be a very interesting year in so many different ways, how that materializes and creates opportunity for traders. Right. And what are the variations you're seeing across Asia? You know, for example, in the case of currency, it's quite clear that almost all countries or currencies are under equal pressure or have been under equal pressure thanks to the dollar or the strong dollar. Any variations that you're seeing? And if so, what's driving it, including if India is on your map? Oh, India is certainly on its map, on my map. I mean, you know, I was there last month and I've been there twice this year, once in April and once in October, and never ceases to surprise me as far as not only the economy and the entrepreneurial zeal of the nation, but more importantly, the engagement from infrastructure to just the construction and the whole country is just, you know, very much engaged. And that could be certainly one of the green shoots that is far greener than when you look at the likes of China or you look at other parts of Asia. And certainly, you know, the US, India is really doing extremely well, I think. But you're being very, you know, the demographic is certainly suited with a young population versus China with an old population. Um, so, if you're looking at the consumption patterns, I'm quite excited from the energy side of things, and I'm quite excited for what the possibilities are, well, the rest of 24 leading into that US election and the overall theme of the market. I think that there's many different components that will play out, and everyone's got an opinion at the moment, and no one's really sure how it's going to roll. Right. As we go into the end of 2023, that's the calendar, what's your sense? Our markets are likely to remain broadly in this frequency in terms of movements, except for some surprises. And therefore, would you see 2024 also starting on the same note? Well, you've got to be very happy with you know how the US equity markets and really pretty much the globe's equity markets, stripping out China, have performed over the last month, last couple of months. And certainly in 23, it's been very, very strong. That push to the upside, NASDAQ, S&P, the Dow. So they've had you know quite a solid, fairly respectable sort of year, and certainly as the Nasdaq, how it all rolls forward from here to December thirty-one. I think it's if you don't have any major roadblocks or any any surprises that enter the market, then I think that the momentum will continue. I think for equity markets till here till the end of the year, as far as first quarter is concerned, I want to see policy statements. I want to see where interest rates and where inflation is and Christmas sales, what happened as far as Friday sales, Black Friday and all of that weekend that we've just had consumption patterns and we want to see PMOs where you know central banks are looking and that's why gold's had such a big run up. So yeah, I'm keeping a very close eye on how everything materializes because it's very hard to forecast out much more than really a month or so because there's just so many variables that are impacting markets. 
Peter, thank you so much for joining me. You're very welcome. Auto sales hit a festival high. India's Automotive Dealers Association, FADA, or the Federation of Automobile Dealers Associations, has said that the festival season this year, which of course has been unusually long and lasted 42 days, saw a 19% increase in overall sales of automotive units. Interestingly, pole-bound states like Madhya Pradesh also saw huge spikes in purchases, particularly two-wheelers. In general, polls or elections usually see a spike in vehicle sales. Now, in the festive season, that's in the last two months or so, two-wheelers saw a 21% growth and passenger vehicles grew 10%, the association said last evening. So, the festival period starts on the first day of Navratri and ends 15 days post Dhanteras or beyond Dipavali, which fell this year on November 12th, also later compared to normal. So, the tractor segment experienced a small decline of 0.5%, though it was even lower at the beginning of the festival season. Fada says that the rural areas were particularly strong and contributed to the surge in two-wheeler purchases. Now, whether that links up to overall rural demand is not clear as yet, because we have to still link it and see how other product categories are performing, because in some cases, for example, in consumer products, the numbers have not been so strong. However, what Fada says is that the first few days of the festival season saw sluggish sales, but things had picked up by the time Diwali had arrived, which was two weeks ago. Fada also says that they're still concerned with inventory levels for passenger vehicles and car manufacturers continue to push more numbers on them, thus keeping the inventory rate at near all-time high levels. So I reached out to Manish Rajsinghania, president of the Fada, who's based out of Raipur in Chhattisgarh, but now traveling. And I began by asking him how the overall numbers were looking in contrast to previous years and also if inventory levels were improving. This is the ever highest festival retails of the total auto retail industry. And then this ever highest was also two-wheeler segment, passenger cars, as well as three-wheeler segment. All these sectors recorded ever highest retail. And you're talking about 21 and 20? Roughly what would it have been in 22 versus 21? So the auto retail industry was at 29.25 and in 21 it was at 24.36, 24,36,000. Now we are at 37.94. Right, okay. But obviously we've been growing in previous months as well. So my other question is if you were to normalize now from month to month, since we're almost at the end of November, what would figures look like between October and November? On a month on month, I think Diwali and Dhanteras went off better than Navrat. It is seeming to end much better than Navrat. And what is this telling us? This is telling us everything was good. We talked about urban India. We talked about SUV buying spree. And what was lagging was our rural market and semi-urban markets and entry levels and sedans and such kind of things. And what we can really understand from this is that during festive times, people have really come out and encashed on their savings or, you know, kind of uh, realized their owning whatever it may be. In this case, it's a vehicle. But definitely on more days and auspicious days, they have really come out and bought their choice of goods, whether it may be white goods or automobile. But rural India has definitely stretched itself, I should say. Uh, I also agree that this doesn't totally signify that rural India is out of the blue. We saw a similar trend last year also. During festival time, suddenly, you know, market went euphoric. And after that, January, February, March, we could see things settling down and uh, again two-wheeler segment we saw the negative growth springing up 
So to clearly establish whether this thing is going to continue or not, we need to observe it for another three, four months to confidently say, yes, rural market is turning and responding. But you're saying urban is showing much stronger and more linear growth? Yeah, yeah, it continues to grow. Like, And on top of that, also like to share the data of whole bond states where two-wheeler sales was phenomenally very good. But I'll give you the overall uh, figure. Where India, we grew by 19%, but states like MP grew by 28%, Rajasthan grew by 24%, and Chhattisgarh grew by 20%. So owning has also kind of, you know, contributed in some way to the growth of auto retail industry also. So you refer only to two-wheelers right now. So overall growth, the two-wheeler contribution this time seems to be substantially higher. So maybe MP would be growing by 28% overall, but maybe in two-wheeler you will see it will be growing by almost 40-45%. So elections are generally good for automotive sales, right? In, at least historically? Yeah, especially for uh, two-wheeler sales. Initially, it, would, it used to be good for passenger cars also. But now, due to good monitoring by election commission, the spend on passenger car has kind of come down. But definitely on two-wheeler, it continues. So your home state has done the best amongst all other states? No, no, no. We are still only at 20%. The best is Gujarat. Gujarat clocked 38% growth. The police said also MP topped 28%. You talked about inventory levels the last time I spoke to you, which were at almost 60 days. So how is it right now and how are you looking ahead? So post festivals, definitely inventory goes down. And final inventory calculation can only be done when we have the wholesale figure. So wholesale figure normally comes in the first week of the preceding month. So what we have been requesting OEMs and we have been talking to friends in media also. Last month, we had an uh, all-time high wholesale of 3,91,000 in passenger car. The trouble of paid-up days is only in passenger car right now. So, we expect that wholesale should come down somewhere between 3,340,000 to get decreasing. And with the coach sales happening, what we are seeing, and billing close to 3,25,000, then only the paid-up days would be coming down to, say, 40-45 days. Otherwise, it would be a big headache for the auto dealers. If we don't rotate our fund, there's a financial base there. If it then year end coming in and we have a year chain, normally customer expects a higher discounts on previous year vehicle. So all those things will start pouring in. Right. And I will question you more on that when I talk to you next month. Thank you so much for joining me, Manish. Okay. Thank you. Meanwhile, most auto companies have announced plans to raise prices in January 2024, attributing it to rising costs and overall inflation, reports the business standard. So the car companies that are raising prices include Maruti Suzuki, Tata Motors, Mahindra and & Mahindra and Audi. Mercedes-Benz also said that it was contemplating a price hike in the new year, according to the business standard. So if you are looking at a new car purchase, then perhaps this is the time to do it. And of course, this is also a way of ensuring that you buy up this year's models. And if you're a regular buyer of cars, surely you know that already. Institutional investors haul independent directors over the coals. The Institutional Investor Advisory Services has fired off a stern letter to the five independent directors on the board of Raymond Limited following reports that emerged of a separation between Managing Director Gautam Singhania and his wife Nawaz Singhania, both of whom are on the company's board. Raymond is a well-known brand and a primarily textile and apparel company and is almost 100 years old. The settlement process could turn acrimonious as it now appears with a likely impact on the company's ownership and control. 
The news has already caused the stock price to fall about 17% since November 10th. So the letter asks the independent directors to step up to the occasion and not stay silent. The letter says, Despite such serious and heinous accusations by one board member against another, you have been silent. Investors are worried, which is reflected in the significant erosion in stock price over the past few days. Your silence can be misconstrued. Surely you don't want stakeholders thinking that these accusations are to be tolerated. At the very least, as independent directors, you need to communicate with investors and other stakeholders, assuage their concerns and articulate a course of action that you have taken following this public allegations. Your actions must protect the company from what proposes to be a long-drawn, acrimonious battle between Nawaz Modi and Gautam Singhania, IIAS has said. To protect yourself and delineate yourself from the allegations, you may also, you being the independent directors, may also wish to retain independent legal counsel. Finally, IIAS says that for the duration of this investigation, they must consider asking both, that's Nawaz Modi and Gautam Singhania, to take time off from their responsibilities as board members. IIIS then goes on to say that it recognizes that asking the promoters to step aside is not easy, but as independent directors, you have a fiduciary responsibility towards minority investors, employees, and the larger set of the company's stakeholders. Therefore, you will need to dispassionately separate ownership from management. Now, This, of course, is interesting and makes it a test case to see how independent directors respond since in most cases they actually don't. And they surely did not sign up to land up in the middle of a messy promoter battle following a messy divorce in which they may have to take sides. Compensation for independent directors has been rising in India, reports have shown. And while independent directors may perform their bare fiduciary roles, there is little to suggest from public evidence that they've taken tough positions on any issue leave alone something as complex as this. And before I go, some good news. A rescue operation at a tunnel in Uttarakhand in northern India ended with 41 trapped workers finally let out after a 400-hour rescue operation. The rescuers managed to reach 41 workers who were trapped in the Uttarkashi tunnel since November 12th and all are now out safely. That's it from me then. Have a great day ahead and see you tomorrow. That was The Core Report with me, Govindraj Ethiraj. Do stay connected with more of our coverage at The Core. You can check out our website or sign up to our newsletter for our exclusive stories, one in-depth feature a day on www.thecore.in. Do also track us on LinkedIn, where we usually post synopsis or extracts of our top stories and interviews. We would love your feedback on how we can make business more interesting and relevant, including, of course, India's vibrant manufacturing sector. So write to us at feedback at the core.in. And thank you once again for listening. <laughs>